me. All right. Um, my next movie I'll talk about. I'll go back a little bit in time now and talk about. <laughs> let's rewind the clocks back to. No, let's rewind the clocks forward, Jack. Let's rewind the clocks forward. You're 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 talking ways of madness. Maybe not. All right. Um. I'd like to talk about a film from 1971 uh, called Little Murders. Why does one decide to marry? Social pressure? Boredom? Loneliness? Sexual appeasement? Love? I won't put any of these reasons down. Each in its own way is adequate. Each is all right. Last year, I married a musician who wanted to get married in order to stop masturbating. Please don't be startled. I'm not putting him down. That marriage did not work. But the man tried. He is now separated, still masturbating, but he is at peace with himself because he tried society's way. So you see, it was not a mistake. It turned out all right. Now, just last month, I married a novelist, to a painter. Everyone at the wedding ceremony was under the influence of an hallucinogenic drug. The drug quickened our mental responses, slowed our physical responses, and the whole ceremony took two days to perform. Never have the words had such meaning. Now that marriage should last. Oh boy. Um, I just watched this the other night. Of all things, my mother actually recommended me this movie years ago. Uh, because she had seen it when she was a teenager uh, in New York City when it came out. And she said it, like, stayed with her for, like, decades afterward, even though she only saw it once. And afterwards, I could see why. Um, what the movie is about, it's set in New York City in 1971. And it sort of concerns this guy, uh, played by Elliot Gould. Um, I don't know if you know who Elliot Gould is. He's, uh... He's an actor. He's yeah. been in things... The Long Goodbye, uh, MASH. Um, I have seen he's MASH. He's been in the Ocean's Eleven movies. You would know him because he talks like this. And I'm I'm doing a terrible Ellie Gould. And Sam, so he sounds really like bad. you doing a bad impression of God, Elliot Gould. It, it, I just really messed that up. All right, no, tell I, us about okay. the movie. Ellie Gould plays this guy, Alfred. He's a photographer. Um, and he likes taking pictures of shit. Okay. Like a little poop. Um, he meets this woman by chance because he's he's actually getting beaten up in the street by these thugs because um, they think he's gay, um, even though he's not. And this woman who you know hears this from her apartment comes down and tries to you know fight them off this guy, even though they start fighting her. This happens in New York. Yeah, that would never happen in New York. You're being serious. Yeah. This is no. This is New York City of 1971. I don't think it would happen in. It's a very violent place. Um, but anyway, so they. No, I don't think a woman would come out of her apartment to save a guy getting beat up in the streets. Well, not really so much beat save a guy, but to just stop them from beating him up. All right, keep going. All right, it, it's a satire. I'm getting. It. Okay. So this, well, I'm going to describe. It, it's going to be very satirical. So this guy and this girl, like this girl, kind of pursues this guy and. Suddenly wants to go out this with him. Guy. This guy. And um This guy Alfred is a little passive. He just it doesn't want to really engage much with the world. Uh he doesn't really know he hasn't really isn't attached with his family. His family's like off in Chicago and he hasn't seen him in years. Um 
and but this woman uh tries to make a try to make a relationship with her um it's this actress uh I, I don't even remember her name but uh the two of them I, I feel bad like no no I'm, I'm sure I'd look it up right now I'm, I'm sure I can find out um he what happens is like she like the movies she takes him to meet her family even though he doesn't like families and her family is freaking weird her family is kind of loud and the sort of type that asks a lot of questions and is very nosy and the father is very much kind of like a oh my god what time is it where's the chicken i don't know what am i doing you know, you know, it's like again with the chicken yeah something like that um and like her her younger brother is, is the, the father case. played by Alan Arkin. No, but oh, but <laughs> no, but you laugh. I was about to get to this. The movie's directed by Alan Arkin. Oh, what do you know? Yeah, it's his one of his only movies as director. Um, but before we go on, have you ever heard of a movie starring Alan Arkin called "The Russians Are Coming"? The Russians are coming. I've heard of it. Have you I've seen it? it? No, I saw it a long time ago. We gotta dig that up mm. again. All right, keep going. Yeah, I the reason I'm it's hard for me to say what this movie is about is because it's really more about this character Alfred, and then also this character her name is I think uh, Patsy, and she is everything okay with your mic? I'm good. Yeah. All right, you're just like looking at it really weird. Um, and also the character of the city that they're in, and it's like a city that is so it's a New York movie. It's a very New York movie. It's a very 1971 movie. The thing that I, I wrote a review of this movie, and the thing that I remembered is the fact that in 1971, there were a lot of violent movies that year. And I think it was kind of an, a sense of the, the time of, you know, still Vietnam, and, you know, lots of riots, lots of violence in the streets. New York City was a lot more violent then than it was now. Um, you know, you had movies like Straw Dogs, and Dirty Harry, and mm. uh, Clockwork Orange. And, in fact, in this movie, Akin to Dirty Harry, there's also... Like, there's this sort of, not not even a subplot, but there is this guy who's reported to be, like, killing people randomly as a sniper from, like, you know, for un, you know nobody knows who he is. We don't really find out in the movie who he is, but he's anonymously killing people. This comes into play later in the movie. Um, I'll just say spoiler alert. I, I just have to, because even though this movie's four years old, it's a pretty big reveal. Um... Just as Alfred's kind of starting to make a change and he's starting to realize, okay, maybe I should connect with people a little bit more. Maybe I shouldn't be so distant and weird and taking photographs of poop all the time, um, which is what Elliot Gould is doing. And, you know, him and his wife, and then they get married because she basically pushes it. She's one of these over-the-top kind of pushy wives. Um, you know, she tries. She wants him to open up and, you know, protect her and be like a real man and not like this guy is just like... I just want to hang out and be cool. You know, I want I want the world to get to me. And just at this moment, the sniper shoots and kills her. Jeez. Um, well, it, I'll put a stop to this. <laughs> yeah. Um, and from then on, the movie is very... It's in some ways very dark. This is a very dark movie, even though I was laughing a lot. The movie at times is very funny. Again, because Alan Arkin directing it. He has a good sense of comedy... Um, the guy who wrote this is uh, Jules Pfeiffer, um, and for those of you who don't know who Jules Pfeiffer is, he was also a writer. He's also a cartoonist. Um, he's done a lot of satirical stuff over the years. Uh, Carnal Knowledge was one. Uh, oh, he also wrote Popeye. Huh. He wrote a movie called, well, he has contributions cred to the movie 
O, Calcutta. Ah. Uh. <laughs> and O and Calcutta have exclamation points after them. Um, the movie is... It's not a bad title. It's a very odd movie. It's it's kind of uneven. There are times where you can tell they're really trying for humor, and it's not either it's not clicking or it's been a little dated. Um, but there are times where I was just laughing my ass off. Like there's this whole scene where um, they have their wedding, and Donald Sutherland is brought in by Ellie Gould to be the minister. Um, now the girl's father, like Ellie Gould's future father-in-law. He wants the minister to include talk about God or about deities. And Donald Sutherland's like, yeah, I don't want to do that. Even though the father bribes him. He, like, Donald Sutherland goes up to Elliot Gould and says, Now, uh, your, your future father-in-law, he did bribe me to speak about God. I think I might just keep the money and not talk about him in the See, wedding. See, that's what I'd do if someone gave me a bribe. <laughs> I, like, I think of, like, you know that scene yeah. in The Untouchables where, uh, like, Elliot Ness, like, does his first, like, big uh, liquor bust, and then, like, a guy comes in the next day to bribe him with some cash? Oh, and, yeah, yeah. And he's, like, and he sends him packing, like, yeah, you go tell Al Capone we're not for sale. And, yeah. But if it was me, if I was Elliot Ness, I would have just, like, oh, money, thanks, I'll take care <laughs> of it. And then, like, yep, yeah. let's bust up another liquor joint. I um, mean, yeah, it's a win-win. Yeah, it is a win-win. <laughs> I mean, you were stupid enough to give me money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I um, but Donald Sutherland is great in that scene because he delivers this really long monologue where he just goes off about like everything, about like I don't even know like some of his lines in this monologue are just uh, uh like well we're not gonna we're, I'm not we're gonna not recite, gonna the, whole recite monologue, the monologue but he is almost worth seeing enough to see the movie on its own he, he steals the movie basically steals the movie almost I mean Elliot Gould is very good in the movie too. Alan Arkin himself pops up in the movie. He plays like this detective. And actually of all the things, he's actually not that good in it. He he kind of disappoints. I think he was trying to be very over the top. And it comes at a point in the movie where things are just so dark that it kind of takes you out of the movie. Yeah. And again, yeah, the ending is quite brutal. It almost has like a bit of a taxi driver thing at the end of it. Um so, I mean, you want to use words maybe for this movie like quirky and offbeat and New York. Um, That's four words. Yeah. Uh, but it's it's a like a like it's basically a roller coaster of a comedy that kind of has its ups and downs. Uh, Gordon Willis shoots the movie. He shot The Godfather, so it has a dark look. This is the kind of movie where com- like a, mo- a moment of comedy is supposed to be where... Ellie Gould goes over to her, to his girlfriend's parents for dinner, and for some reason, the light the lights just keep turning off by themselves and then coming back on, and nobody explains it. Nobody goes like, "Ah, oh, those goddamn lights." They just kind of turn, they kind of dim off in the middle of conversation, and then come back up, really bright, and then come back down. They've reached a state of calm. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. Um. And yeah, I mentioned Ellie Gould's greatness. And if the movie's not super hard to find, it was basically kind of a flop. Roger Ebert in his review noticed something interesting that I think was an astute observation that, um, like people in the move, like people in the movie theater watching the movie, there wasn't. You watch a comedy, and sometimes everybody's laughing at once. This wasn't really that. Sometimes some people would be laughing at one thing, other people would be laughing at another thing, and Alan Arkin thought that's why the movie flopped. 
because it was like nobody's laughing, continuing. It's all over the place, and the movie is all over the place. But that's what's refreshing about it. It has a daring that you just don't see in movies anymore that take on like violence in America in a way. Um, so yeah, that is Little Murders. All right, 1971. All right, my next movie. It's groovy, man. Yes. My next movie was inspired by our last discussion about Ridley Scott. I saw Robin Hood. Outlaw! Yes, Outlaw. For the crimes of incitement to cause unrest, I declare him to be an outlaw! All right. Uh, I'm <laughs> not sure how much I want to talk about this because... Did you see I, the it's... theatrical or director's cut? Theatrical. Okay. Uh, that, that's the one I saw. But uh, I don't think it would have mattered because I saw the director's cut of Kingdom of Heaven. And everyone was talking about, oh, it makes the movie so much better. And like, no, it's not. It's just it just <laughs> adds a bunch of stuff that doesn't make a difference. Yeah, okay. uh, and that was out of there for a reason. Uh, but Robin Hood, it's the same sort of Ridley Scott stuff. Uh, Russell Crowe. If you see I, I, the tra- yeah, if you see the trailer for the movie, there's a shot where Russell Crowe is coming out of the ocean to do battle. Yeah, and. You ask the common moviegoer, is this from Robin Hood or is this from Gladiator? No one would be able to tell you. I would have been able to tell because I know because of the different type of sword he used. You might be able to, <laughs> but like the average moviegoer wouldn't, and that's the problem Maybe. with this movie. Yeah, but here's the thing: the action scenes are good. They are when there's an shot. action when there's an action scene. Like Ridley Scott knows action. I do. I, he can do a sword yeah. fight, and he can do a battle scene, uh-huh. and everything looks good. Like I saw, I got what I wanted. I I saw knights riding into battle, and I saw archers, and I saw, but like, uh, although to get a little lazy with like, oh, we have the French have landing craft, which somehow look like World War Two boats, for, yeah. which is just kind, which is just lazy, but. Uh, but that's not the big problem. But the problem is really the, that's just the, like the relationship. That's just like it's the characters. Yeah, you, like, because I'm going to contrast this with another movie that I just saw. Okay, it's one I've seen before, but I'm glad I saw it again. I saw The Princess Bride okay. again. Now we're talking about two different movies. Princess Bride is kind of like a fantasy comedy. Robin Hood is like a historical action drama. Mm-hmm. But but they're both <sighs> in periods that involve castles and. You know, knights and those. There's kind of a, there's sword fighting. Yeah. Uh, Are you okay with your sheet? My what? Your your chair? Are you over it? Yeah, I'm alright. I'm just all trying right, cool. to. I'm just trying to. Chair law. <laughs> alright. And and uh, Robin Hood has some good action scenes. <coughs> has some good special effects. And. and you think, compare that to the Princess Bride. It's like, well, the Princess Bride had had sets that were like made of cardboard, and there's mm. hardly a special effect. But at least Princess Bride had characters we cared about. Yeah, and it had a simple story that that you could un that it uh, had stakes that you could understand. Yeah, you could understand the stakes, and nothing felt extraneous. Yes, and characters related to one another. Yeah, like you could actually feel and and you felt chem- you could feel the chemistry between Carrie Elwes and Robin Wright. Right, and and let's and let's think about a character, a very simple character, Inigo Montoya. His uh, a six fingered man killed his father over a sword, and he's been hunting. He's been looking for revenge for twenty years. Insert that's simple. Diego Montoya quote. Here. Yes, that's simple, and you completely understand his character. Robin Hood. 
in this. Well, he's like a commoner whose father was a like a tried to make a charter or something and was uh, and was executed or and now he's an archer with the king and he doesn't really like the king or anything. And I can't I can't figure out who Robin Hood is. And like he's he's clever, but he tries to impersonate somebody, and then he's he, he's all over the place. I yeah. can't summarize this Robin Hood in any way. It's <laughs> I can't understand him because I can't right because I can't pull any of his stuff together and figure out who he is. Mm-hmm. And, and there were cool things like there's a scene in Robin Hood where like oh like the the church is taking away the grain for tribute and they they need the grain because they because they need to plant the crops. Yeah. So Robin Hood he goes out with his with his sidekicks and he steal and he uh, sets up an ambush and he steals the grain. Uh-huh. And that was classic Robin Hood. That was a cool scene. Like but that never happened nothing like that ever happens again. Hmm. And the yeah, movie and it, the movie comes up to gets close to Robin Hood things like that st- like that scene where they steal the grain and tie up all the guys together and leave them in the middle of the road mm-hmm. and it's like Russell Crowe sitting in the middle of the road he says you can pass if you answer the riddle <laughs> what has 18 legs and isn't going anywhere and then his men pop out with crossbows and bows and they're like it's you guys and then they gallop away like that was something Robin Hood would do yeah, I mean that was a, that was a very simple scene with a good payoff, and that but it but nothing ever like that ever happens again. And then when you finally get to that last battle scene, which is really which is a good battle scene, like the stakes are low. Yeah, because like does it feel like the movie is a bit of like setting up the next Robin Hood movie? Too? It's like Robin Hood Begins. Yeah, exactly. That's why I thought seeing it, you know, I mean, you're getting also the thing I remember too that disappointed me was. You have these two actors who I know are really good, uh, you know Russell Crowe and Kate Blanchett, who plays Maid Marian. Yeah, and I remember their relationship in the movie just didn't click for me. No, that could have uh, because this that movie. I don't know if that, that would have saved the movie, but it would have made the movie a little more watchable. Well, you're on to something could, because this film is a waste of Kate Blanchett. Yeah, it I, is. She kind of comes in for a few scenes. I vaguely remember her, but and he, usually. Like she can be like the best thing in a movie. Yeah, but she's she's playing Maid Marian, and in this kind of her character doesn't do anything meaningful. No, like she says a whole bunch of things, and she has conversations with Russell Crowe, but she doesn't do anything that affects the plot. Mm-hmm. She just like explains things to him, and then he does all the work, and then you know, uh, and she doesn't do anything. Like she's set up to be this independent woman yeah this stereotypical strong female character but you can't be a strong female character if you don't do anything yeah <laughs> it's like in contrast she with does that, nothing of consequence yeah in contrast with that i mean you mentioned comparing the, the princess pride i just suddenly remembered uh the ridley scott movie that i watched before our last talk which was the duelists and that movie keith carradine's character actually he has like this long relationship with this woman in the movie. And that's like actually pretty clearly, you know, described and you can actually understand that relationship. You know, somehow Ridley Scott has maybe lost his way with that. Well, I just feel like it was, it's a project that he didn't have his heart in. I mean, you talked about, he wanted to do a film about the sheriff of Nottingham and they, and the studio said, no, we just want a Robin Hood film. Yeah. So he just, so he just knuckled down, did the film and then he collected his paycheck. Yeah. I don't want to make him sound like a terrible person, but I just genuinely feel that there are times when Ridley Scott is like, 
like with Prometheus or Kingdom of Heaven or, or Robin Hood, when he's just like, all right, let's just yeah. get this job done. Yeah. With Kingdom of Heaven, it's interesting because I read that he originally, the writer of that movie came to Ridley Scott and wanted to do a movie called Tripoli. And I forget what that would have been about, but it was sounded much more fascinating than the what, title sounds you know, more fascinating. Yeah, I it did have some kind of period medieval context to it. I mean, I guess Tripoli is a city. Tripoli is a it's a city in um, North Africa. Okay, yeah, so it must have had something to do with the Crusades as well. Probably. Um, but then instead we get Kingdom of Heaven and uh, yeah, blurp. Um, like I said, I'm holding out hope for that movie, The Martian, but, um... Well, hopefully. I, I just hope it's a... I it's, just hope it's a... Ridley it's, Scott is not a bad director. The problem is that with Robin Hood, again, I didn't hate the movie, from my recollection. I didn't come out of it thinking, like, oh, this is the worst piece of shit I've ever seen. Yeah. But it's forgettable. Yeah. You're not going to remember this movie in a few years' time the way that you do, you know, obviously, The Adventures of Robin Hood. Or even, like... You know, any of the other Robin Hoods. Yeah. Uh, there's just very little that makes it... It, do, it doesn't stand out very much. Mm. And I, I don't think Ridley Scott's a bad director. No, we've talked about that. But yeah, that he is competent. He, I, but hopefully his next project is one that he can really get emotionally invested in. Yeah. That has a decent script and that fits with his vision of, 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 what, uh, of what he wants to do. Because, you know, when he does something he wants to do... He makes great stuff. Yeah, Black Hawk Down is a great movie, mm. and I really feel like his heart Black is Hawk in that. Down's really good. Uh, yeah, and I talked about how Matchstick Men showed him actually giving us real characters, and that was something that really connected in ways I didn't expect. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I mean, it shows how much of that movie's forgettable. That, like, when I was told that um, what's an, Oscar Isaac played was he was is the sheriff the guy that says outlaw no that's king john okay king john yeah the fact that i didn't remember that he played king john just goes to show that robin hood just does not stick with you yeah the same thing can be said about that movie i also i probably mentioned briefly body of lies and all i remember about that movie is leonardo dicaprio being very gruff and torture scenes and uh, I don't know. I'm sorry that that was just well. Well, Robin know. Hood, take it or leave it. Yes, take it or leave it. Princess Bride. Now that's uh, it's the Princess Bride. Yeah, <laughs> it'd be inconceivable to hate that movie. I don't think that word means what you think it means, Jack. <laughs> I see what you did there. Oh, speaking of Princess Bride, I think I've found my new icebreaker for conversations. Uh, if I'm ever in a room and I don't and I'm and I want to start a conversation, I'll say. Excuse me, I don't. I don't mean to pry, but do you happen to have six fingers on your right hand? <laughs> that won't creep out any women. Actually, actually, you know what? You get the girl who talks to you after that and finds that funny. Marry that girl. Yeah, that's the plan. <laughs> All right, back to you. Alrighty, alrighty. So uh, we talked about homesmen. We talked about that. Um, I'd like to talk about a documentary that i watched in the theater boring recently. if i wanted to learn i'd read books yeah you're boring no but what about when you watch what about the civil war you watch a 10-hour documentary that is really dry and has like people reading old like war letters and hey it has it has filmed 
footage of actual yes, battlefields yes. and grains of wheat. <laughs> For a second there, I thought you said they, they have filmed scenes of the Civil War. And I'm like, what? <laughs> we lined up... We lined up 100 cameras to take pictures of them, 20 per second. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we have. Wow, the, that would have been a fun experiment to do during have, the Civil we have War. The flipbook version of the Civil War. Oh man, I uh, think I know what my uh, what, what my next story is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's not bad. All right, guys, okay. I'm telling you, these moving pictures are going to be big in like. 60 years, yeah. but we got to get a jump on it now. <laughs> yes. We don't have to just take pictures of horses. We can show them flying in motion. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. This movie is called Red Army. Um, what this movie is about is... The Red Army. Well, the Red Army hockey team. Oh, cool. In Russia. Do you know about these guys at all? Well, when they I said are... that, you, you kind of perked up a little bit. Well, I know what the Red Army is, but yeah, I... Yeah, uh... they were in Russia. But I mean, the... The, the Red Army hockey team are the people who, for who during they go to the Olympics. they went to the Olympics and they, they played the Olympics. Against, and they uh they were the losers in the Miracle on Ice. They were the losers in the Miracle on Ice. However, the movie charts all, you know that, but it charts that a little bit, but also charts the team and how, aside from that loss, they were the like the most spectacular team in hockey history almost. Yeah, like they really dominated for years. And the guy who was sort of the leader of that team, um, I don't have his first name in front of me. His last name is Fedosov, um, I think. Um, Your contact's name is Fedosov. Yeah. Take Vyacheslav, him the file and get yeah, and get the, yeah. heart, the laser disc. Yeah, Vyacheslav Fedosov. And uh, he also had... Um, what your, your Russian is exquisite. It is exquisite, yeah. Um, what the documentary looks at is about... Uh, the history of the hockey team and also in the context of Russia at the time and how uh, they, he was part of the first team that actually went to play in Canada from Russia. Oh. Um, like it talks about that a bit and it also talks about the formation of this team that Fedosov kind of was the leader of. Um, and also the, 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 well, first of all, the nature of Russian hockey, which during that communist era of like the fifties, sixties and seventies, you know, you had teams that, you know, you went to go play hockey for the Russian army. You did nothing else. You basically went to play hockey, and that was it. And that was why they were so good. And, and well, that's why they they were so good. They eventually, what the movie shows is that, you know, yeah, they go on and they play the Olympics. They win gold medals. But they also realize we are, we have no lives. Like, we have wives and kids. We never get to see them. We train and play hockey for like 11 months of the year, maybe more. And, you know, we're stuck in this situation. Yeah. Um, and what the movie is fascinating in part because you, the main character or the main interviewee is this guy, Fedosov, um, who again is like one of the most spectacular hockey players ever. And he has this team that features, uh, these will be for people who play hockey, Alexei Kasatanov and, Vladimir Pozner, like there are all these people who contributed to basically turn the hockey game upside down because, you know, usually when you play hockey, you, you, you know, you skate forward and you try to pass the puck and shoot the goal, doing that sort of thing. Guys on this team would skate backward sometimes huh. and do it like perfectly. And they're, they passed their moves to one another. It was almost like watching dance. And they, they are the Harlem Globetrotters of <laughs> hockey. 
<laughs> they're like the Harlem Globetrotters if they weren't funny. Except uh, except their theme song is Russian, so it's like oh, 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 oh. Moscow, Moscow, we play hockey now. We play all the time. I'm changing the words. Um, that group is uh, West German. Eastern. Oh, they are. Yeah. Well, but they're singing about Moscow, so I think it sort of counts. Eastern Bloc Disco. That's what they were called? No, uh, they, they're, they're called uh, Genghis Khan. Like, like Genghis Khan. <laughs> that's just how they said it. But that's not the point. Nice. But the point is this movie is fascinating even if you don't really care about hockey. Like, I took my mom to see this movie. Uh, actually, well, I went with my mom and I also went with my wife. And my wife is really obsessed with hockey right now. So, obviously... The other thing, too, that's fascinating in this movie I should mention before I get to my mom. And my mom, for the record, actually, she really loved this movie for the characters, for the story. Um, you know who else loves this movie? Yeah. Your mom. That's that's an insult? Yeah. Mm-hmm, but it's true. Mm-hmm. All right. My mom, my mom is good. You know, my mom yeah, your mom's cool. All right. What happens is, though, again, I mentioned that they were getting tired of playing for... The Russian for the Russians, and again, you also have to take into account the Russians. They were very protective of their players because, again, it's not just that they're a hockey team; they're also under the Red Army. They're technically soldiers. They're technically part of the army there. Yeah, but once you but get people, a position like that, you're yeah. usually diverted to something yeah. less lethal, mm-hmm. but away com- from Afghanistan. Yeah. Uh, yeah, well, actually, they do mention that in the movie, of course. Um, you know, and of course, uh, that whole part of the conflict. Um, but what happens is. These guys, they're, they're so good that they get the attention of the NHL, and they want to sign some of these players. Like, they tempt this guy Fedosov to go play in the NHL. The New Jersey Devils uh, are interested in this guy, and other teams are interested in the other players. But they're not sure because, again, if they defect, they've basically defected from their country. And also, yeah. the, Russian, the, the head of the Russian army basically tells one of the players, uh, okay, you can go play for the NHL. You have to turn over most of your salary to us. Yeah. Um, so it's that system because, you know, it was communist still. Right. Um, but then you did have a couple of people who did defect and finally Fedosov decided, all right, I can't take this anymore. This is really brutal. You know, I'm also my, they also put a lot into the captain of the team, not the captain, I'm sorry, the coach who's basically this super asshole taskmaster who replaces Fedosov's original mentor. Again, this is why the movie is so good, is because, again, you don't have to like hockey. You just have to like a good sports movie. You have movie. to like people. You have to like people, yes. <laughs> you have to be interested in people to see Red Army. Um, and so then, you know, they start to defect and so-called defect and start playing for the NHL. And at first, there's also the conflict that even though these hockey teams, yeah, we want you to play because you're so good... The Americans are all like, no, we don't want the Russians playing for us. We don't like the Russians. We don't care if the USSR is falling. We don't like them at first. Yeah. But then they show how they turn things around. Eventually, many of the Russian players end up on the same team and uh, start to win Stanley Cups. Like, like four or five of the same guys get onto the Red Wings in 97 and they win the Stanley Cup. Um, and... Also, what's interesting, too, is that this guy, Fedosov... I should mention passing, uh, Werner Herzog produced the movie. Cool. Yeah, so that was kind of It seems a little too mainstream for Herzog. Um... I mean, usually, if, it, if, if this was a Herzog-directed movie, it would be about the equipment man. 
who uh, who washed all the jerseys, who uh, who walks every day carrying the hockey sticks on his back, and then he goes and like sings songs like in an alley for nobody in particular. Yeah, like Strzok. And then he tells a story about one day he um, was singing and someone threw uh, an apple core at him. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I don't know. I guess he actually. I think he's played hockey in his life. Um, he is kind of a sports guy. Yeah. Supposedly, like I read in between shooting breaks, he placed a lot of soccer, making Fitzcarraldo. Well, that's uh, he. He wrote. Uh, he wrote. What's it called? Um, he wrote Aguirre Wrath of God when he was like traveling with his soccer team. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. The that's half awesome. of the script pages were covered in vomit. <laughs> I read about that. Yeah. yeah. He was writing. Again, he was writing part of the script on the bus, and one of his players threw up on his script. And then again, this is a story told by Werner Herzog. So whether or not it's true is. But you want to believe it because he's telling it. The ecstatic truth. Exactly. We're on to you, Werner. But this movie has a couple of scenes that also his cinematographer shot part of the movie. And he also, by the way, does something interesting where he, usually in a documentary, it's just the camera's on the person, that's it. There are times in the movie where the camera actually will, you'll see it move up to the person's face. And I find that interesting. (laughs) The camera's not going up to your face. You don't have to back away. Um, uh, The point point is, though, this guy Fedosov, I think, is really fascinating. I think that if Herzog was directing this, he would find this guy. He would be interested in this guy because he's one of these sports guys who's no bullshit. And he's also vaguely distracted part of the time. When we first see him in the movie, he's like on his phone and the director is trying to interview him. But he's like, no, no, no. One second. I'm on my phone. And at the end of the movie, he's back on his phone again. It's like, (laughs) man... Cell phones are like killing us. Yeah, man. Um, but it's a it's a pretty wonderful film. Uh, again, it's it's not just about the sport, although that it's riveting to watch hockey at times. Well, a good documentary is about it. It shows you the human element of any subject, which yeah. is why the Civil War is a good documentary because it's about people in the war, not just about the war itself. I no no I, I was messing with you. I, I, I agree that, but you started going like. <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah so that's yeah, like no, a really good documentary yeah yeah like and again it's more about the, the relationships about you know the, how, the the personalities on this team the red hockey team um you know also like there was like a friendship between the main guy and then another guy that fell apart and then um there are, also, there are a couple of things I wish were explained a little bit more. I mean, I guess you only have, like, the movie's 80 minutes long. You only, maybe you only have so much time. That's not a bad length for a documentary. No, no, it's fine. It was a fine length. Um, I, I guess there are just some things that the movie does make you want to go out and research a little bit more about the subject. So okay. in that sense, it also works. Um, so, yeah, if you can see Red Army, if, uh, if you're curious to see uh, the early years of... Uh, Vlacheslav Fedosov and also get a little bit of interview time with an ex-KGB officer who in one scene gets distracted by his grandson uh, who again this is one of those scenes that I could tell Herzog produced the movie like that it's kept in here his son just starts to talk to him about like the color of his beard (laughs) (laughs) even though the guy is supposed to be like the guy's about to tell the interviewer so let me tell you about KGB in Russia. Grandpa, Grandpa, why is your beard so white? 
It, I'm paraphrasing, but that's Red Army. All right, cool. All right, movie. Movie. The last one I want to talk about before I get to our big movie. Uh, 300, Rise of an Empire. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> now, I don't want to Spe- talk... Speaking of... Uh... Speaking of um, hot, naked uh, actresses. See, that's what I want to talk about. Because <laughs> I, really, there's I, nothing else to talk about in 300 like Rise of an Empire aside from Eva Green. She's She is the reason to see the movie. She made me want to see this movie, and I didn't even really like 300 as much as a lot of people did. I like 300, it, it and was it's, all right. it's everything that this film is not like exciting and... There are some there are some exciting parts. Eh. Like I, but like, uh, all right. I, kind, let's it, let's we focus. Would call it a sequel to Three Hundred, though. That's right? what surprised me about this movie. When I heard about this movie, when when this movie Was got announced, announced I as thought, a historian, oh, you were like, "What?" No, I don't care. Uh, <laughs> Again, this is Frank Miller history, folks. I don't care about the history. I was kind of impressed. Like I thought it was going to be like a prequel. Mm. Uh, I mean, that's the See, way I, I that's the way I expected it to go, but I but then I learned like oh it's going to be about original, something that happened later, which yeah. is well the original comic was uh, there were two comics of Frank Miller one was three hundred and then he also did a Xerxes comic right which I think took place before so maybe people thought it was going to be based on that but eh, maybe but uh, I was impressed that they were do, they were going to do something later usually every time that happens you just prequel the stuff but. Uh, Still, it doesn't make it a better movie. Uh, but let's okay. talk about Eva Green. Because... <laughs> Alright. She, she digs this her teeth is, into this This role. is not a good movie. And Eva Green's character it, a, and her performance aren't, aren't spectacular. It's a guilty pleasure. But she... She is 100% committed mm-hmm. to this film. I don't know... <laughs> I don't know what she saw in this. Like she, she, I don't. Maybe she's just doing it for the money, but she definitely doesn't act like she's just doing it for the money. She's, yeah. uh, she is. Just, she just sinks her teeth into it and doesn't let go. And you, and you, and here's the thing that impressed me. There's a sex scene in the middle of the film. You know what I'm talking about. Oh yeah. Which Ooh. is actually a pretty good sex scene because it's it is pretty... a, because a you don't really expect it. It's a lot. Of it fun. takes you by surprise, and it's actually kind of funny. It's very <laughs> funny. You can tell the actors had a lot of fun choreographing it and acting. Like and it when is... I was in the theater watching this movie, it's like okay, we're having this dialogue scene. It's pretty good, and then all of a sudden, whoa! Hey, that took a turn. <laughs> Yeah, and I didn't expect them to actually do it. I was like, come on, let's get uh, going. And, and then I'm like, oh, I, they actually did it. I didn't expect to see it first. After the fact, I thought, okay, Zack Snyder production, Frank Miller. Yeah, no, it works. Yeah, and it's kind of sexy, actually. Mm, yeah, it is. I mean, well, Eva Green is just a sexy person. Well, yeah, but I mean, you can have, kind of it doesn't matter how sexy... sexy. It doesn't matter how sexy she is. Like the the, the context is very sexy. Sexy. You could you could change characters. It's charged. Yeah. It's 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 uh it's charged. Even though even though it doesn't make any sense at all. No. But it's it's certainly charged with uh with eroticism. Uh, and and this is how you know that Eva Green is dedicated to this role because yeah. they. The guy tears off her clothes and show and it, and it shows her bare breasts, and she's like, 
All right, any actress who was in this would have known what it was. Like, it would have just said, "I'm not showing my boobs in this film." But no, she just goes uh, goes ahead. Yeah, she she yeah. just jumped into it. She is boobs out and balls deep in this film. <laughs> in more, and I don't know why. I don't know. It's mysterious to me. Like, she's a good actress. She was in. She was in. Uh, what is it? The Casino Dreamers. Royale. She yep. was in. She was in Kingdom of Heaven, which is not a good example. No, but I. She's, she's forgettable in that. Yeah, but I mean, she's been in other stuff. Like she was even in another like ancient epic sort of movie. I well, think. she's. Well, she was in. Uh, oh, well, um, she was. She's done a lot of TV. That's also the thing. She's done a series which I've wanted to watch for a while called Penny Dreadful. Oh. And um, actually, I can tell you now because you're. You're probably on the tip. I, I know exactly the movie you're talking about, and I just want to make sure it's correct. Um, the Golden Compass, maybe you're thinking of? No, I haven't seen The Golden Compass. Yeah. Uh, um, well, she was in. Oh, um, well, she was in uh, Camelot on TV. I haven't seen of it. that. Uh, all right, then I don't know what you're what you're thinking of. Never mind. I mean, you're that thing of uh, Sin City. No. <laughs> Sin City. Well, Sin City Two, I should say, which also she gets very naked in, and that's not a very that. That's oh, not so maybe this movie. is just what she usually does. Well, yeah, I mean she's. Um, I mean she's not opposed to nudity. I can tell you that. I mean, well, I don't think I don't think many people are exposed are well, opposed the, to it. It's just that you know well, the movie that usually when um, a, when an, when an actress gets naked, uh, they're usually doing it for. They're usually. Uh, betting on some sort of uh on the quality of the film. Yeah. Well, like, her, her debut was in a film uh called The Dreamers and in this movie she's like a film buff in France in the 19 late 1960s and it's like her this American guy she meets and her brother and it just follows them on like just hanging out in their house while they're like the girl's parents are away and you want to talk about nudity? It's like in that movie, not only she's nude, not only is she naked for a good portion of it. It's a Bertolucci movie, so go figure. <laughs> it's also a movie where she plays a naked, sexy film buff. Like watching that movie, <laughs> film I was, buff in the buff. Yes, a film buff. And yeah, man, I that movie made me a fan of hers for life. <laughs> that movie, yeah. Yeah. She is a little wasted in this. She, she's in she is Empire? kind of wasted in Rise of an Empire. I don't mean she's drunk. I mean her uh, her her performance is wasted in this film. I also felt like, uh, but I, felt like I, Lena, I I feel like Lena Headey was also trying. Who? She's uh she was the other woman in the movie. Oh, she Leonidas's wife. Yes. Gorgo. Uh huh. Yeah. Uh, I mean, maybe I like the movie a little bit more than you. I wouldn't. I wouldn't say it's a very good movie. I enjoyed no, it. it's not a good movie. I enjoyed it as a guilty pleasure. I enjoyed no, it as something that... 300 is, is a guilty pleasure. Uh, That's a decent movie. And even though 300 doesn't have a, a good sex scene in it, <laughs> it's it still has a lot of action it you can It certainly enjoy. has a lot of stabbings. Yeah. And this one uh, just looked... The fights looked cartoonish. I mean, mm. super fake looking blood. Oh, well... Uh, really cart... Uh, cartoonish uh fight scenes hmm. it just uh okay. it doesn't it, it, it pales uh, it pales in comparison to the fight scenes in 300 because those were visceral hmm. like Zack snyder you could talk about his you know his his speed up and slow cam but like every time they did it in 300 it, it was awesome 
Yeah. And, no, no, I, and I just kind of appreciate the fact that Eva Green just, just, uh, I, she's hamming it up. Like, she just seems like she, she was having fun in this film. Yeah, you know. Not that it makes it better, but it still she made it a little she, more fun for she, me. She got what she was into. I think she made me enjoy the movie more than I would have if it was another actress. Let me put it that way. Yeah, you're probably right. Yeah. Also, last comment. 300, Rise of an Empire. What empire was rising in that film? That's a good question. I mean, so they kill the Spartans in at the end of 300. Spoiler. Well, it's history, so it's actually not a spoiler. Get a, get a book. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I remember. So if I'm, uh, it's been a year to talk about as an empire. What? Um, I mean, they are still fighting, right? Who? Like in Rise of an Empire, what are the sides in that movie? The Greeks and the Persians. Okay. The Persians are invading Greece. Exactly. So when we talk, when you're asking, what is the was the empire? I mean, isn't wasn't wasn't Greece an empire? No. So you're thinking of the Persian Empire. Well, yeah, but they're not rising. They're they're kind of losing. Hmm. I think we can just say it's nonsense. Maybe it was just like you, they needed another title. I, that's just that's just one. And you couldn't call it three hundred and two. Three hundred two. That would have been funny, right? I might have respected the movie a little more. Uh, anyway, like, but that's but that's just another uh, yeah. rise of anything is just one of those crappy subtitles for movies like <laughs> The Beginning or The Next Generation yeah, or, or, the, or uh, the Dark Knight Rises. Yes, <laughs> I know you like that movie. You, you like, know what's surprising? I, I, don't, I don't hate that. The movie. the term "strikes back" is not used as much as you'd think. In movies, yeah. Yeah, Empire Strikes Back, the uh, the the something Strikes Back. I can't think of anything. Jane else. Silent Bob Strike Back. Yeah, but that was that was a Star Wars reference. Yeah, but uh, the problem is though, after the Empire Strikes Back, how can you have a movie that has the, the Strikes Killer Tomatoes Strike Back? No, no. Man, no. I'm surprised the that problem, hasn't gotten used more. Of all, and the funny thing is, when George Lucas called his movie that, he was homaging. What you know, serials in the 30s did. They used so, to yeah, have like those kind of, Yeah, they used to have those dynamic titles like, you know, the something strikes back. But now when you have strikes back, yeah, it's, it's, it's old hat. Yeah. So uh, 300. Uh, only watch the sex scene. <laughs> and you could, I, I'm sure you could check that out online, folks. Yeah. Yeah, it's not vanilla sex. <laughs> It's, I see it more like a fight scene. It's not as daunting as like, oh my God, we're gonna have a sex scene today. It's like, you know, it's all choreographed and all that. So yeah, we both had lots of bruises afterwards. It's kind of S&M without leather and latex. 